You're very welcome along. It's the gardening program here on Midwest Radio on this Holy Saturday. I holy always get Saturday. I always get the Easter and the Holy bit so mixed do up. I. Yeah. So I, I was just about to say Easter, <laughs> Easter Saturday. Are you? Yeah. No, that's next Saturday. There you, there you Good go. morning to Good you. Morning, Mark, dear Good morning, dear Jack. Morning, great. And and the weather's turning. It's lovely to hear those. Uh, positive weather forecast, temperatures rising, um, still a bit of grass frost at night time so listeners would just want to be careful with more tender plants like bedding plants and so on, not to put them out just yet but fantastic weather promised uh, right through this weekend and right through Easter week. Good. Easter yeah. week is next week. It is this coming week, <clears throat> yes, so that's right. really good weather so it's going to be great gardening weather and I thought we might just start by just kind of doing I suppose uh, a round robin on, on the sort of jobs to be doing over the next couple of, of uh, days and, and over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, because I suppose the last two weeks really have been a little bit of a challenge to try and get out there. The ground has been very wet and all of that. It has. So, yeah. It's been cold, it's been wet, you've got that kind of northerly wind, so it has been challenging to say the least, but but look, it's great that the good weather is coming in. As you know, we had a, a lawn weekend last weekend in the garden centres and a lot of interest and of course, you know, the old favourite um, the moss. moss on the lawn and, and, and how to treat that in particular. But one of the questions that kept popping up was um, people were asking the difference between the traditional sulfur of iron method of killing the moss yes. and and the Osmo treatment, the newer treatment that we've been promoting on the on the programme. And really, I suppose just to explain to people that iron is has been used for, for decades now to kill moss and, and kills moss in a caustic action. So it burns the moss away. And that's hence how you get the blackening in the lawn mm. and it needs the raking to get rid of, of the dead moss. Osmo differs in that it dries the moss. So when you apply it, the moss actually just withers away um, it dries away. So it kind of dehydrates. It de- that's exactly what happens. Right. The, the roots, the roots are are, are uh, damaged, and the plant, the moss, actually literally just dries up and and returns as nutrients back into the soil. So a, you don't get the blackening, and, and secondly, you don't have to rake out the dead moss. The other thing what you'll find with the osmo is that it greens up the lawn. It gives it a really green color without forcing growth. Mm. So anybody that has put it on, say in the last three weeks, will notice, particularly at the moment how the fertilizer has worked really well. It's it, The lawns are actually showing really nice color at the moment where it's been used a couple of weeks back. So it, it tends to feed slowly and without forcing growth. So you get that lovely kind of blue-green color hmm. to the lawn. But it, it dries the moss rather than turn it black. I suppose well, that's the basic sort of difference. But just in terms of lawn care, this is, I suppose, a really good weekend. A, if people haven't cut the grass, look, get out and get it cut. But certainly in terms of feeding the lawn, tackling the moss problems. And as growth starts, particularly if you've fed the lawns in the last couple of weeks, as the, the young weeds start to come forward, it's now it's a good time to treat them with a proprietary lawn treatment. So when you get that growth starting, if you apply a lawn, we killer, you get a very good kill and a very good effect mm. um, rather than waiting till later on and allowing a lot of the lawn weeds to flower and so on. And also, it's it, the, the temperatures are right for reseeding. So if you have any bare patches or you want to extend lawn area and you want to put some fresh seed down, this is the sort of weather, particularly as the ground starts to dry, uh, put on the new seed, so something like Patch Magic or even just ordinary lawn seed mixed with compost brushed into an area will help to thicken up the lawn. Yeah. So if you're finding kind of bare patches, ball patches, um, an area you want to extend or whatever, or if the dog has damaged an area, this is the sort of weather which is ideal for reseeding. Or indeed, if people are thinking putting in new lawns, the ground is still a bit wet, but as it dries, 
possibly next weekend uh, will be a very good weekend to consider tilling the soil and getting it ready for reseeding because the grass seed will germinate at temperatures around 10 degrees, 8, 9, 10 degrees Celsius and we're having those in abundance. Mm. It's going right up to 16 over the next couple of days. So it's perfect weather for the germination of seed, which leads me on to people think considering maybe sowing flower seeds or vegetable seeds out of doors. Again, perfect conditions at the moment particularly the frost hardy varieties. So things like night scented stock, plants like nasturtiums, anything that's that's frost hardy as a, a or a hardy annual, you can sow from seed directly into the soil and the weather conditions would be ideal. So for example, the easy flowers that yes. you saw last year, they, they're the sort of plants I'd be sowing from seed now directly out of doors. Or that night scented stock is lovely. It gives a fantastic fragrance at night time, but you can sow it directly into the garden. Um, the other key thing really was, and I think I mentioned it last week, was the trimming back of hedges. I see, yes. still notice a lot of hedges untrimmed. Yeah, yeah and, and I suppose the fact that you can start, even though the no growth has been a little bit slow perhaps up to now, but you can just see just a, that they're starting to come into their own a little bit. Yeah. So I was looking so, at my own yesterday. Well, actually, that's it. Yeah. And, and so rather than leaving it for another week or two and then cutting the fresh growth, now is the time really to just to, to tidy them back, tidy back the sides, the tops and to feed. So when we prune, we feed at the same time. Mm. So put on something like the Osmo Pro 6 or a good tree and shrub feed just to help the growth as well. And that will apply to the pruning back of roses, of hydrangeas of general garden shrubs where you're tidying them up this is the time of year to feed because plants come into growth now in the next couple of weeks and they tend to grow strongly till about the end of June and then growth starts to slow down so this is kind of the critical period in terms of feeding plants in general so if you just want to give them a bit of a boost green them up give them a bit of colour put on a, a, a fertiliser at the moment tomatoes Yes, tomatoes. And I brought you in You've some tomatoes. You brought in loads of tomatoes. I did, morning. I did indeed. And these are these are actually some varieties that um, they're cherry varieties that have been brought on in the greenhouse very early, and you can see the fruit is on them yeah, already. Yeah, they're 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 they're, they're very. Um, they're, there's a lot of them. There's huge very, amount yeah. of fruit. Mm. Yeah. So this is the time of year. Now again, tomatoes are frost sensitive, so you need to keep them indoors. So if you have sown them from seed yourself, or you're getting a couple of plants over the weekend, do keep them in a bright windowsill conservatory, patio, greenhouse or tunnel would be ideal. Mm. Just keep the, the frost off them. Um, but this is the time really to start thinking about planting tomato plants. And I thought it's, it's also a great way to get children involved in growing. And we, we featured it last Let's, week, yes. uh, you know, talking about getting children to grow something. Tomatoes are great because by planting them now within, by early summer, midsummer, they're going to get some fruit forming and they're going to be tasting the fruit by July and August. And a really good variety is, is a variety called Sweet Aperitif. I mentioned it before, but it's particularly good for children because the skin on that variety is very thin. So it's it's really easy to eat. It's very, very sweet. And it's only a bite-sized cher cherry tomato. Very, very small, but you get literally hundreds of fruit from right. it. Sweet Aperitif. It's a quite a good variety. Adults love it as well. Of I mean, it's just it's it's just a really nice variety, and it tends to produce fruit like bunches of grapes. It's that kind of cascading grape-like um, big bunches of, of fruit. So it's a really good variety, sweet party. But look, there's lots of good varieties available at the moment. Now is the time really to start your tomato plants. I suppose is what I'm saying, and yeah. the plants are available in garden centres as we speak, and they're really easy to grow. 
and I tend to grow them in pots. I, th- I find them a lot easier than okay, the grow bags. Okay, because these ones that you have brought in this morning are in pots. They're in pots and, and uh, leave about uh, an inch of uh, space between the top, the lip of the pot and the actual compost. Mm. And that just makes it easier to water in the summertime because you need to water them copiously and feed them well and you don't want the compost right up to the surface of the pot otherwise it's, it's m- you're making the job more difficult. And I suppose just in obs- observing, you know, when you get the, the bags, the bags I always feel are a fairly big affair and you need a bit of a space uh, whether it's in a patio or whatever. Yeah. But this is quite a tidy uh, setup with the, in the pot. Now, do they would they need to be planted out into bigger pots or well, are they happy enough where they are? This particular variety is mm. a miniature variety right. of, of tomato. And there's a very good variety called totem, which only grows about two feet high. So if you've got a windowsill or an area where you're restricted with space, that's a really good one to look for. It produces good-sized tomatoes um, and in height, the plant grows to about two feet. So it's perfect for a windowsill scenario and it'll grow in a relatively small small pot. So that's a nice, neat, compact Mm. variety. Others like Tumbler, as the name suggests, tumble out of baskets or out of pots. There's no need for uh, pinching them back. It's a really easy variety to grow. Say for your hanging basket or window box, that's a a good one. Or the varieties like Shirley, Moneymaker, um, Sweet Aperitif that I mentioned will grow taller up to about five, six feet in height and give you far more fruit. So naturally enough, the more miniature varieties give less fruit. But it's also time for peppers. I brought a few peppers in. See them there? They're just beginning to colour nicely. And also chilies. The hot chilies if you like something oh, for a wow. hot yeah see Sorry, them there? I, thought, I thought it was all tomato plants no, we had no, for no, it, no, but the screen is, is the screen is blocking them slightly oh yeah that's you just what I need. a chili for <laughs> breakfast i think not so but, so look at they're they're all available as plants now cucumbers and and also basil and basil Here's the young basil yes. plant, which is lovely to, to grow with tomatoes because basil, the scent of basil helps to keep white fly off plants. So if you have a problem with white fly, say in your greenhouse, mm. try and grow some basil at the base of the tomato plants. And not only can you use the basil and it's great in tomato dishes, but it also helps to deter white fly. Right. Speaking of deterring flies, I see I brought you the in. old eau de cologne mint. mint right. yeah. I, I thought you were bringing in the mint so that you, we might talk about mint for uh, <laughs> going with the leg of lamb tomorrow. Well, this is this is the time for planting all <laughs> maybe varieties. Maybe this eau de cologne I don't think would be appropriate for um, mint sauce. Well, you can you can use it. Yeah, you yeah. can use it. It's it's a sweeter variety, as the name suggests. Eau de cologne. It was originally used to create perfumes back in the Victor- Victorian days, and uh, because the scent of this particular variety of mint is very very sweet. But the interesting thing is that flies dislike it. And it's uh, I featured it last year and, and people were um, really wanted to get this plant. So it's, it's available at the moment. So it's a variety of mint called Eau de Cologne. Very, very easy to grow as all mints are. But you'll find, particularly in the summertime, if you diffuse the leaves in water, in warm water, make it up into a small spray and have it in the house and periodically just use it on the windowsill or on the glass it'll deter flies from coming into the house. They dislike the smell of it. But the smell is actually quite nice. It's here, I give you, yes, give you a leaf do, to, yeah, to I smell. Have chili in one hand and eau de cologne mint in the other. So it's quite, it's quite oh, yeah. sweet uh, scent. And um, so... Yeah, you can get really, actually, you can very much get the old, uh, it reminds me of scent. the old 4 seven, eleven or something. There you go. So <laughs> so that's eau de cologne. That's quite a good one, for particularly for house flies, um, and anything like that at all. And uh, it makes, if you make it up in water, it's perfect for deterring flies. And I suppose, look at it, it's, it's it's an organic way of um, controlling yeah. them. 
again, another couple of things to think about planting. Uh, we're seeing a huge interest in cottage garden plants, going back to the old delphiniums and a lot of cut flowers in particular. People are interested in growing them. So plants like you know, the favourites, like lupins, the gallery lupins, the lovely mallow, the lavateria plant, which is a great plant, I think, for particularly new gardens or if you want to fill up a space quickly. Lavateria or mallow grows exceptionally fast and flowers for a very long period. It comes into flower in June mm-hmm. and will flower right through till September, October and comes in a whole range of different varieties but is a lovely cottage garden plant. The old traditional garden phlox is great as well. Plants like the poppies, the big oriental poppies which produce big blousy flowers nearly the size of a saucer. They're like the big pink ones, are they? Yeah, pink and oranges mm. and uh, reds. They come in a whole range of different color colours. But they can be planted. They're perennial plants, which means they come back year after year. But now is the time to plant them. So if you want some good lupin colour, some cottage garden colour in the garden, look out for plants like hostas, poppies, flocks, mallows in particular are great I think the lupins <clears throat> are really good um, delphiniums themselves aquilegia the old granny's bonnet those mm. sort of cottage garden plants that flower every year could be planted at this time to come into flower in June, July, August, September to give you colour and the most important thing of course is that they come back year after year vegetable gardening again this is really the time now as we come into early April to really start getting plants into the garden potatoes in particular should be planted ideally St. Patrick's weekend is the ideal time to put them in but again with the season being a little bit late you've still got time to put in early potatoes like Duke of York um, Colleen, Orla um, foremost any of those real early varieties British Queens which is a really good second early variety and indeed all the main crop varieties can be planted now so Curse Pinks, Records um, Satanta, which is which was one of my favourites, is a really good variety and a blight resistant variety. Um, Golden Wonders, they should be planted into the garden soil now. The the light bit of frost at night time will have no effect on them whatsoever, but right. do get them into the soil, fertilise them well, and the heat that's going to come this week will will really start kick, kicking them into growth. Also, vegetable plants, so things like broccoli, cauliflower, lettuce spinach all those plants are available for planting now in the garden garden peas so you can get them now they're four or five inches high they're ready to go so again if you get them into the soil over the weekend you're going to maximize that an early crop of vegetables for cutting kind of late may june july sort of period and are they frost hardy now because if you're going to get a little bit of grass frost that won't that won't affect them young plants any damage not at all no they've been hardened off so plants like lettuce all the various varieties of lettuce are all totally winter hard or, or frost hardy spinach of course is frost hardy garden peas all the cabbage family, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, they can be planted in the garden soil. Right. The only thing to watch out for are the slugs, really. Okay. Um, so you don't have to be covering the, those at night time. And really herbs as well. All the kitchen herbs. I mentioned basil. Mm. Now that is frost sensitive, so yes. do keep it inside. But most of the herbs, like um, like mint that we talked about, like lavender, rosemary, chives, oregano, they can be planted out of doors now. Or indeed, if you just wanted to up a nice window box and have it sitting outside on the windowsill or in a patio area, plant it up over the weekend. Herbs are great because they come into growth so fast and you'll be cutting them within, by certainly early May, you'll be getting your first cuttings from your, your, your kitchen beautiful. herbs and the more you cut them the more they produce flowers or, or foliage and, and you can use them right through the summer and the last thing to mention are the sweet peas this is again the time to get your if you want again something to cut for the summer mm-hmm. um, plant sweet peas again they're frost hardy you can put them out now and again you'll find them they grow so rapidly by late June early July they'll, they'll start to flower if, if planted early so they're the sort of things I'd be 
yeah. yeah get, getting using the, the good weather I suppose to get on top of also you know if, if you need to do any kind of spraying so if you've say moss in your patio or driveway use the pack which you'll find very effective um, it's got two and a half times the strength of patio magic so it's a particularly good one um, called pack and that again in dry weather would be very effective so if you apply it said this weekend yeah. it'll have eradicated the moss by Wednesday Thursday of this coming week so those sort of jobs I would so particularly the lawn getting on top of that plant getting soil ready for planting out planting out the hardy flowering plants like the lupins and the ground covering geraniums the hardy geraniums um, hostas all of those sort of plants getting them into the soil now and really feeding plants and, and just getting helping nature to, to bring, to bring plants on, on. Yeah. yeah and tidying up the garden really and speaking of, of, of tidying up, you were saying that there's a design weekend on next yeah, weekend? I yeah, have, I have. A, um, and we ran this last year with the listeners and it was, it was fant- we had a fantastic response. If you remember, I asked people to bring in a photograph, right? And we had over 70 people last year over the weekend. Not one brought an old photograph. They all had their photographs on iPhones. Oh, so that's, um, that's the world we live isn't in. Isn't it? Yeah. I thought which it was... Is ex- which is, I, I always think it's amazing. A lot, most of the time, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I just thought it was so interesting. Nobody had a traditional photograph. Yeah. It was all. So anyway, we're running the weekend again next weekend, next Saturday and Sunday. Um, so it's a design weekend where I bring in five designers, garden designers. Um, and we ask people who have an interest maybe in... Maybe they're thinking of doing a new bed or renovating a particular area in the garden or they've a span new garden and they want to get some design ideas. So it's, it's really for people that are looking for ideas for their existing garden, uh, maybe a new area of the garden mm. or an old area that needs to be renovated or a totally new garden. They're the sort of people we're looking for. Uh, it's a free weekend. I would ask people to book because, again, we had huge interest yep. last year. So the number to ring is 09490 So if you ring that number today and tomorrow, um, we'll book people in. We'll take them over the Saturday and Sunday. We'll give them a 20-minute consultation with one of the landscape designers. And we would ask people to bring in some photographs, digital or old traditional photographs that we can obviously advise them on and, and use during the sessions. And we'll book people into specific slots during the day. So that's the way we ran it last year. And it, it was so we're looking for a hundred people oh, wow. to come okay. this year. We had so seventy busy, last busy year, weekend, yeah. yeah. Um so the number is zero nine four nine zero three one four three five. So that's our design weekend next Saturday and Sunday in Turlock in the Garden Centre in Turlock. I have five designers lined up and um you know, it'll, it'll be, it's really for to give people ideas and maybe some inspiration in terms yeah. of areas that, and last year we had a great mix of people. So we had people that were, had new build houses, but also we had a lot of older people that had gardens that they were tired of and they just wanted to renovate them or take yeah. an area, a particular project and, and redo that. Or sometimes I suppose maybe as people get older as well and you have a large garden, you know, where you need to maybe bring the maintenance level down exactly. a small bit because that can, it can be just a challenge exactly. if you have a lot of space. Reduce the lawn areas and mm. reducing the, the the maintenance areas and that that actually featured uh, heavily last year we had quite a number of people like that so so look at that's the number zero nine four nine zero three one four three five call the number the guys it'll probably the number will be busy of course uh, for the next um, couple of hours anyway as people ring so do do call us we'll book you in then next Saturday or Sunday give you twenty minutes and uh, give you some ideas and some inspiration. Fantastic. It sounds like you're going to have an even busier weekend next weekend, Forrick. We're going to take a quick break. It's 25 minutes past nine already. Loads of questions have been flowing in uh, over the last while, so we will address those right after these. 
Okay, you're very welcome back. Now, Porik, uh, loads of questions. Let's go to emails maybe first this okay. morning. Um, so we have an email in, a double a double hander question here. Uh, can we ask why the labels on Tumblr tomatoes give instructions for growing them as cordons, even though uh, there is a variety, there it, there are also varieties for baskets. It's, it's confusing. So okay, well, does, well, it, does it, is, is there kind of one variety better than the other for different no, situations? No, no, tumbler, tumbler is one variety of tomato. And as the name suggests, it tumbles out of containers, pots, hanging baskets. And it's, it's great in that it's a great variety because you don't have, the uh, with, with traditional tomatoes you've got to take out the side shoots and you've got to tie them to canes and grow them up so there's a little bit of work to the traditional tomato but tumbler is a variety that you actually plant in a window box or container and just leave it alone water mm. it, feed it and, and let it flower and branch as normal so when, when the listener talks about growing them as a cordon that means the old traditional way of, of growing them up a cane but for tumbler that doesn't apply right. that's a misprint on that label okay. so it, literally just use the tumblers for pots, containers, window boxes where you want a tomato to literally tumble, tumble out or, or we often use them in, in a mixed say if you've got a mixed uh, flowering hanging basket with petunias and, and fuchsias and geraniums stick a tumbler tomato plant in at the side of it and it just creates a bit of novelty and also you've got something edible during the summer months and it competes well with the other flowering plants. Perfect. Now we'd also like to bring uh, this uh, uh, person who's emailed would also like wants to bring apple varieties in their late granny's orchard to their own garden. It's a okay. lovely idea. Nice idea uh, yeah. So they've imported in some rootstocks. They've scion wood collected since January. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Can I graft this week or is it too early and what? which method of grafting should they use? Okay, so this 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 listener is, is considering grafting old varieties onto new rootstocks. Mm. So they've obviously purchased in rootstocks, and and that's how we grow tomato or we grow apples is we graft the two plants together, the rootstock and the actual. The scion is the piece of wood that he's taken from from the grandmother's from trees. Oh, and right. the great thing about it is that when you take a piece of wood like that, it comes true to type. So if it was a red variety with a really juicy flavour, then it'll come true to type. It'll actually grow exactly as it grew in his grandmother's garden. Oh, right. The rootstock will control how it grows. So if it's a dwarfing rootstock, like an M9, it'll keep it small. If it's a, a, a vigorous rootstock, like MM106, it'll make the tree grow big. Big. So oh. it actually, the rootstock controls the, the shape and height, right. but it doesn't control the actual, the actual taste variety. and flavour. Right. Yeah. So, so rootstocks, that's why we use rootstocks to control the growth of the way the plants, the way the plant is actually going to grow. Now, in terms of grafting, there's a number of different types of grafting and we're coming into the time of year for grafting apple trees in particular. What I would say is if the sign wood, which is the piece he took from the grandmother's tree, is of a similar size to the rootstock, then use a, a method of grafting called whip grafting. And that's just joining one side, one, the, the actual scion, one piece of the, the, the grandmother's apple, as it were, to the rootstock. And you need to bind it well and you need to get some grafting wax, which creates a seal around the grafting joint. And with any grafting method, it's like when you get a cut in your hand, for the skin to to, for the cut to reheal, you need either side of the cut to join together. And the same applies more grafting plants. You need the wood or the cambium layer, mm. which is the kind of bark layer, to match up with the rootstock. So that just needs to be important. Now, what I would suggest, it, it, I'm getting a bit technical here, so maybe bring 
if the listener wants to come into the garden centre, I'll explain exactly how to do it and show them a couple of pictures of how to do it. But grafting is very, very simple okay. to do. Um, the other way you can propagate them is by budding the plant. And that's done during the summer months. And normally around May and June, you take a bud from the grandmother's tree and that can be, again, inserted into the rootstock. And again, it's a, a really great way of propagating apple trees. So maybe if the listener wants to pop into the garden centre, I'll show them exactly on an existing apple tree how it has been grafted and explain the method. Uh, But it is relatively simple to do. And you can indeed, you could graft two different varieties onto the one rootstock if you want it. Okay, and they won't compete uh, No, well, there will be a certain amount of competition, naturally enough, but you can control that by a bit of pruning as well. We often call that family tree. It's where you put two or three different varieties onto the one one. rootstock and you create, so you have one root, but three, two varieties or three varieties on the one tree. So So great if you're a bit limited on space and you don't have, you know, acres for lots of different trees. It's a great way of growing uh, because apples do need cross-pollination. So on the one tree, you can have two or three varieties that are compatible, that will pollinate one another, but give you three different types of apples. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've piqued my interest today already. So there you go. Um, Okay, so hopefully that answers the question there on grafting. Um, Now, John asks, uh, Porik, we have a rather steep bank, just covers two metres high and about 40 to 50 metres long. They'd like to plant it with ground cover and preferably weed suppressant plants. They've decided to go with Ketoniaster Coral Beauty towards the front end for about six metres. Wondering, should we use weed fabric or does it need contact with the soil to root itself or to self-root? They'd like to mix up the rest of the bank. Already they've some wild rose and fuchsia planted would you recommend heathers or vinca minor yeah vinca minor is a great or maybe both Uh, if they go with heathers is it true that they are painted no, well, no, yeah, I know what that was. <laughs> well, you can actually get painted heathers, which are generally sold at Christmas time. It's where uh, the traditional heathers are sprayed a blue colour or a red colour. But regular heathers that you're buying in the garden centres at this time of year, they're in flower, are, are the ericocarnias, the, the spring flowering heathers. And they're great because they'll grow in any type of soil. Mm. They'll grow on limey soil or acid soil. They're excellent for giving ground cover um, and great to suppress weeds. Um, so heathers are a really good choice really with any of the ground covering plants on a slope or a bank like the listener has the key thing is to plant in groups of the same variety so whatever you're putting in put it in in groups of threes or fives to create a clustered effect because you want those plants growing as one over time the five plants will merge in together so from a distance it'll look like you've one large piece of heather or one large piece of cotoneaster and um, Going back to the question in terms of the, the soil fabric, Cotoneaster yeah. Coral Beauty is a ground covering Cotoneaster and if when it touches the soil, its stem touches the soil, a bit like a bramble, it'll it'll shoot and re-root again. Now if the listener wants that to happen, obviously you won't be able to use the fabric material. But to be honest, Cotoneaster Coral Beauty spreads so much, one plant will spread up to five or six feet in diameter. So, you, so I would go with using the, the fabric material because again you're helping to keep the bank clean of weeds because a bank or a slope it's going to be difficult to keep that maintained in a manual way trying to hoe it or trying to um, keep it wet so I would use the fabric material don't worry that the cotoneaster won't re-root because it's going to spread wide anyway periwinkle or, or vinca that the plant the listener mentions mm. is again a great plant for covering ground and um, there's a lovely variety called Illumination, Finca Illumination, which has got yellow foliage and green foliage with purple flowers, a really nice variety. Um, And again, when planted on mass in groups of threes, fives or sevens, it looks stunning. Another good plant is one called, ground covering plant called Ceanotus repens. 
It's a Californian lilac and again it grows prostrate to the ground and again produces blue flowers during the summer, keeps its foliage in winter. Another nice plant is Rosemarinus prostratus, which is the ground covering rosemary. Oh, right. So it stays low to the ground, flowers during the summer and grows exactly like ordinary rosemary except it grows flat to the soil. And again, a great ground covering plant. And does it have kind of the rosemary It has fragrance? a rosemary exactly the yeah. same as ordinary rosemary. You can pick it and, and use it you on use your it land you if you wish. Yeah. So rosemarinus prostratus is the name state it goes prostrate Prostrate, to the ground. Also plants like ground covering geraniums these are the hardy outdoor geraniums like sanguinium or Johnston's blue which is a lovely blue variety again give great ground cover so look at visit your local garden centre ask them to show you the ground covering plants there's a whole range of plants that are suitable on banks and slopes and just depending on the vigour it sounds from what the listener is saying whether they're using wild rose and fuchsia and the cotoneaster they want more a rugged wild type look to the garden so I would certainly use the ground covering geraniums I would use the Ceanotus repens which is a good vigorous plant Rosemarinus prostratus they're good hardy vigorous prostrate plants heathers would fit that perfectly as well and a really super time to put them in and John also finally wonders have you any thoughts on a juga Ajuga, Ajuga repens is a really good plant. Again, it spreads literally like wildfire. Wildfire. So you know, and and it's just to be careful that some of the plants, like Ajuga, it does spread rapidly. Now, one of the ways of controlling it is obviously using the weed weed material uh, offers a good um, method of controlling it. But it is a super ground covering plant, as are plants like Aubrecia and Arabus. There's there's loads of ground covering um, plants suitable for the slope and bank. Okay. That's uh, growing the cotoneaster. Mary has a question about pruning it. When do we prune cotoneaster trees? And she's also wondering about holly. Well, the the tree is, this is a good time because the cotoneaster, the berries are, are beginning to kind of fall off now. The, the birds are having the last of them. So it's an excellent time before it comes into growth to do some pruning with them. Um, not, not severe pruning because the flower on last year's wood. So you can certainly shorten back the uh, young stems by maybe up to a foot if you want. And again, as I mentioned at the top of the programme, when you prune plants black, feed them as well. Holly is going to be coming into flower, believe it or not, as we come into late April, early May. Mm. So again, when you're pruning holly, just be conscious that you're not pruning it too severely and removing some of the flowers because obviously that'll affect the berries for next autumn. But they tend again, the flowers tend to be on older wood. So if you're just doing a light bit of pruning on holly, then now is an excellent time to do that. Okay, when do we apply Rose Clear, asks a listener. Well, Rose Clear is the, is the treatment to, to control pests and diseases on roses and it depends when you've pruned your roses. If you prune them back early in January and February and there's lots of new growth starting on roses, then you could start this weekend and apply it once a month from now on. If you're only pruning your roses, say, this weekend or have done in the last week, then leave the rose clear for another uh, 10 days or two weeks. Really, you want a kind of good canopy of foliage on the roses before you start using the rose clear. The other key thing with roses is to feed them now. So use a a rose feed or something like Colour Boost just to, to help encourage the new growth to start um, and then apply the rose clear or rose rescue is also excellent um, and that just keeps the, the bugs and the disease off the roses again once a month if you apply it religiously once a month you'll have them absolutely clean of pests and diseases Okay we're going to stay with roses for just one more question and then we'll take a break again Where would somebody get a ballerina rose? Ballerina Sounds cli- very delicate Well no it's a, it's a climbing variety okay. quite a nice rose um, you should be able to get one in your local garden centre if they don't have it in stock you know, mo- most garden centres are able to order plants in. So, you know, within a week or 10 days, they'll have it in stock for you. But a really nice variety and a very vigorous variety, a good one. OK, let's take a quick break. Back with more in a moment. 
Okay, you're very welcome back. Now, Porek, lots of daffodils around at the moment. There are, uh, there are loads fantastic. of colour. Yeah, I see them everywhere. But one or two questions I notice in where people have been a bit disappointed with the performance of daffodils. So, um, have that. a good example <laughs> is uh, somebody who's got no flowers on their daffodils at all this year, just the green leaves. They're right. wondering what's the best thing uh, to do this year and how can they make sure they get flowers next okay. year? Okay, well, there's two things with daffodils and, and they are they have been fantastic this year because the weather has been so cool and we haven't had that much uh, wind Rain, yeah, and or, wind yeah. in particular to batter, batter them, them which yeah. is in, so they've been flowering great now the key thing with daffodils two things to dislike <clears throat> first of all a shade so if you've got them planted in a shady even though they'll grow in dappled shade under trees but if you've got them in a north facing area where they're not getting good sunlight you'll find that the, the flower actually reduces each year Right, it's it's all you're getting is foliage after maybe mm. the third year, right? So a, a, a particularly a heavy shade or a heavily north facing area, uh, certainly daffodils don't do well. They like a brighter location, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you cut them back too early, so they need six weeks after flowering to die back, and the key time to feed daffodils is once they go out of flower. So we often tend to forget about them and leave them and maybe cut them back too early. And that stops them from flowering the following year. So right. the key trick with daffodils is once they go out of flower now, uh, at the <laughs> mid towards the end of April, you start feeding them with a high liquid feed. Something like liquid one would be very good to use on them. That builds them up for the following year and swells up the bulbs because the flowers are actually produced during the summer in the bulb. To, to, to come forward then in the spring. So how well how well you look after them during early summer dictates how well they flower the following year. <clears throat> the other thing is, this is a great time to move daffodils. So if you want to divide daffodils, if the clumps have got too thick, and that's another reason that daffodils may fail to flower if the bunches are just too old and they've got too thick because they produce new bulbs every year so, beside the mother bulb. Mm. So sometimes the clusters get too thick. But this is a great time to dig them up and split them and divide them. And I, I, I did it in my own garden actually only 10 days ago. I lifted daffodils that were in full flower, split them up and planted them in a totally new area. They all popped up again. Really? Looking fantastic. Wow. And they're there for next year. So you can wait until they finish flowering if you wish, hmm. or you can dig them up now, split them, divide them, move them to a new area. Just give them a good watering and they'll be... 100%. Now, we talked about wheatgrass a little bit on the programme going wheat back grass, quite, yeah. a, quite a number of weeks yeah. ago uh, and somebody um, is, has, is wondering if they can buy wheatgrass and chicory ready to juice but or can they st it's about the st where can they get seeds uh, and how do they go about sowing them? Well, I have the seeds. We have the seeds, yeah, and the Unwin's range of seed wheatgrass is available to sow, and that's the way to sow it. It's and it's very, pretty fast growing, isn't very, it? Very, very fast. And all you need is a standard seed tray with some regular compost. Have the compost moist. Sow the seeds on the top of the surface of the of the uh, compost. Uh, sift over a little bit of fine compost over that. Cover it with cling film, and within seven to eight days, the seeds will have germinated. Put it on a warm windowsill, and uh, the wheatgrass grows very, very quickly. And when it's about two to three inches high, you start cutting it and it'll regrow again. So you'll have, you know, from the one sowing of wheatgrass, you get a couple of crops from it. And the same applies to any of those, uh, the healthy beans, the, the broccoli sprouts, um, any of the kind of mustards, anything like those, the chickpeas can all be sown from seed at this time of year. The seed is available now. Great. Now, uh, from uh, wheatgrass, horseradish. Actually, yeah. we were talking about uh, horseradish during the week in our own house. Um, so somebody's wondering, how do they grow horseradish plant? Um, their husband loves fresh horseradish sauce. Okay, Is it from seed or plants? 
It's it's actually from a root. You Cuber, buy, is it? Yeah, you buy yeah. the root. It, it looks like actually like a dock okay. root. That's exactly what it looks like. And the leaf is not dissimilar as well. And it grows like a dock because it actually th- it spreads out. So where you plant it, be expecting the plant to kind of double and treble in size and time. So give it a bit of space. But what you're growing with horseradish is the root. So you go to your local garden centre, they'll have roots of horseradish plant available at the moment. You simply put them into the garden soil. Um, I wouldn't harvest it this year. Give it a year to grow. And then so this time, next, the summer of next year is the time to start lifting. You literally lift the roots and you use the roots. You, you finely grate the roots yeah. and the flavour is fantastic from freshly grated horseradish. But it's one of the most easiest of all plants to grow. So it grows it's, nearly as easy as docks, does it? It, it grows <laughs> equally as well as docks. And, and if, you know, if you're not using it on a regular basis, it can actually spread a bit. Right. So give it a bit of space. Um, but a very, very simple plant to grow. It's a perennial, very, like, very similar to rhubarb. It dies back at the end of the year, regrows the following spring and forms a nice big cluster. And it's a really simple plant to grow, but lovely uh, fresh horseradish beats any jar of horseradish any day. As most fresh things do. do. Yeah. Uh, And you mentioned rhubarb there. And as it happens, the next question is a rhubarb one. So the listener has um, picked the first of their rhubarb sticks and they're just wondering, the leaves, can we do anything with the leaves in the garden? Well, believe it or not, the the leaves of rhubarb are semi poisonous. Oh. So they're not poisonous. I suppose poisonous is, might be too strong a word, but they, they have uh, high levels of oxidic acid. And if you eat too much of oxalic acid, it actually affects, it can be, you know, it can, it can affect your um, digestive system. So uh, it, they're not edible, uh, but what you can do with them is they make a fantastic, if you put them into water, into a container, mm. into a bin, with water. They make a fantastic solution to put on your cabbages later on for caterpillars, for the controlling of caterpillars or bugs in general. Um, But also because of the acidity of the leaves, they're very good to use as a mulch around any acid-loving plants. So plants like camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, if you mulch in your rhubarb leaves around the base of those, they help to create an acid base to the soil. So they're so don't just throw them on the normal compost heap. Actually put them around your lime-hating plants like forest flame, uh, hydrangeas, uh, camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas. It'll actually help those plants. So you could mulch them around that or else put them into a solution of water and make up your own insecticide. Right. It makes it very good. It does smell fairly Is pungent. It right, so but, right. but, but it's very effective on caterpillars and, and, and uh, green fly and so on. Okay. And so don't waste them, I suppose. And and so, and would you put those you put those in cabbages and stuff like that, yeah? Well, anything that, that's damaged by caterpillars. Because somebody uh, wonders here, I'd like to grow cabbage and collies. Is there anything to deter the caterpillars? Well, well certainly rhubarb leaves made up into a solution. But another great way to... to uh, to deter the caterpillars from visiting your cabbage is to grow nasturtiums somewhere in your garden. You know, the ordinary common nasturtiums, they're loved by caterpillars, by the white butterfly that attacks cabbages. If you grow nasturtiums, say, at the end of the garden, the white butterfly will favour the nasturtiums and lay the eggs on the nasturtium leaves rather than on your cabbages. So it's a great organic trick to fooling the white butterfly away from any of the brassica plants. So grow some nasturtium seed that can be sown outside at this time of year, particularly the more vigorous varieties, the tall, uh, fast-growing varieties, or indeed nasturtium plants are available for planting at this time of year. What about trailing petunias? Are they ready for planting yet? They are. 
And Trailing Petunias, yeah, all the basket plants, all the hanging basket plants, they're available at the moment. Trailing Petunias are quite tough. One thing I would advise when you're buying them is to pinch them back, take out the end shoots. So when you buy them in in your local garden centre, they'll be four or five inches high with a couple of stems on them. Pinch those stems back because that'll increase the amount of flowers you'll get from from your uh, petunias this year. And again, you can start planting them up into hanging baskets now or over the next couple of weeks. There's no immediate rush, Uh, but they are available. And funny enough, they are actually quite frost hardy, hardy. Yeah. so they, you can put them into a cold greenhouse or in tunnel and let them grow on there without any frost protection they're quite tough a listener has bindweed and is wondering can she put Roundup on without killing everything else and how much Roundup to a watering can? okay well bindweed hasn't started to grow yet um, so you're not going to see it coming above the soil until probably the end of, of or certainly the middle of April um, so it's too early to treat it yet if you're using Roundup you need to be very careful that you're obviously not getting onto the foliage of other plants because once it hits the leaf of a shrub or hedge or whatever, it will damage that plant. I would favour using the Roundup gel on bindweed. So uh, as the bindweed is beginning to grow, if you can actually paint the gel onto the leaf of the round of the bindweed, you'll get a very good kill. If you can isolate the bindweed, let it grow on the ground, and then spray it with Roundup, say in May, then yes, that'll work. Uh, 100% and it will control and kill bindweed but you have to be careful with using Roundup um, you know where you've got other plants maybe if you cover the other plants with a polythene bag or protect them in some way to keep the Roundup uh, solution off the foliage that's the key thing and from bindweed to chickweed yeah. uh, it has completely taken over the garden oh my God. what is the best way or what advice would you give <clears throat> to get rid of it well I'll tell you what to do and um, the best way of controlling chickweed of course is is um, it grows so so fast and spreads so rapidly, produces thousands of seeds. And the best way of controlling it is to allow the get the ground ready. So if it's a vegetable area, get your ridges ready now. Or if it's a flower bed, get the flower bed ready. So dig the soil, get it ready, and leave it alone for about three to four weeks. Allow the chickweed to show itself. Allow it to germinate, germinate. And when it's about inch high, mm. then treat it with a, a weed killer called Weed Free Three Sixty. So you just apply that on top of the chickweed. So you've allowed it to germinate. Mm. You've prepared the soil. You're not going to be disturbing the soil. You've allowed the chickweed to germinate. You spray the young seedlings and then you plant into that soil because using something like Weed Free 360 doesn't contaminate the soil. So you can apply the weed killer onto the chickweed. They'll die within a couple of days and then you can plant safely your cabbages or lettuce or whatever, if it's flowers, into that area. And you've eliminated about 80 or 90% of the chickweed that's going to come. Excellent. Just one or two more. I have buds on apple trees. Forgot to prune them back. Will I just feed them and what should I feed them with? Well, no, if they need pruning, like you'll find that the flower buds are contained on the older part of the tree. So any of the whippy growth, the growth that made last year, won't contain flower buds as such. It might have small growth buds showing, but the, the flower buds are small, rounded, fat little buds. And you'll find those more on the inside of the tree or on the older stems. So any of that whippy growth, even though you're seeing signs of new growth, can be cut back now. So if you can do it this weekend, great. So go out and reduce the long whippy stems by two thirds. So if they're three feet long, cut them back by two feet, leave a foot of of stem remaining. And um, feed your apple trees as well. A high potash feed, something like Colour Boost should be used on them at this time of year.
Okay, and finally, why is all my fatsia leaf gone yellow? Well, fatsia is the castor oil plant. It'll grow, it's actually a great plant because it'll grow both inside and out of doors. It's got huge leaves, about this big kind of palm-like leaves. But it's a plant that needs lots of nutrition. And when you see it going yellow, it's a sure sign that it's either in its pot for too long, it needs to be repotted, or it needs a good liquid feed. So... Either or either. I, I would guess it's probably a little bit pot-bound where it is. Or if it's in, in the garden soil, if it's growing out of doors, mm. give it a good dressing of, of Osmo Pro 6 now and that'll boost on the colour. So it just needs to be repotted or fed. It's one of the easiest plants to grow and a fantastic plant for growing in shade. Okay. Really good plant. There's a lovely, actually, variegated form of it. Um, Fatsia japonica variegata, which has lovely green and white foliage. It's evergreen. Great plant to plant under trees or in a shaded area where other plants won't grow or indeed to grow indoors if you wish. Okay, great. We'll have to leave it there. So remember the design weekend. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for 100 people next weekend. Uh, Ring this number 09490314435. Leave your name and number and we'll call you back and book you in then for a design slot next Saturday or Sunday. Great stuff. And your pet uh, corner is still going? Our pet farm is still running. It's it's actually been very popular all week. Lots of children in. So if you want to come down and see the pet farm, it's in the garden centre just off the restaurant. It's free for people to come in and view. And there's lots of very interesting animals there. Great. Kids loved it all. In advance of tomorrow, happy Easter, Porek. Thank you. That's it uh, from the programme. We're back again next Saturday. Stand by Michael Neary, coming your way with Country Classics directly after the news. Attention all gardeners.